This is the CU 2.0 podcast with your host, Robert McGarvey. Big new ideas about credit unions. Big new ideas about credit unions. CU 2.0 podcast. Here's the big, immense, mind-blowing idea that is central to this podcast. A competitive credit union has to view executive compensation as a strategic initiative. Really no different from putting investment money into a QZO rolling out a spiffy new mobile banking app. Understand this too. NCOA regulations explicitly allow this allocation of capital. And grasp this as well. Unless a credit union has invested in creating a first-rate leadership team, it will not have the staff capabilities to make the most of its capital investments in more traditional vehicles. With leaders, it's as simple as you get what you pay for. And the results your credit union gets are determined by the leaders you have invested in. That's the bold idea put forth by Kirk Kordaleski, one-time CEO at Bethpage Federal Credit Union, one of the nation's biggest, and now an executive at OM Financial Group, which specializes in SERPs, which are building block retirement plans for key credit union executives. In the podcast, Kordaleski offers more than his big idea. He also spells out in detail the steps a credit union needs to take to keep its executive team competitive and what the costs are likely to be. Note to board members, if you want to know what these steps will cost your institution, you'll find out in this show. Want to know more about SERPs or any other matters raised in this podcast? Email Kordaleski. There's a link to his email in the show notes. This show is in a Money Talk series where credit union compensation is untangled. The show will help some executives negotiate better pay packages. will also help some board members understand the ways in which 2022 credit union compensation is utterly different from 1992 comp plans, even 2012 plans, because now competition for talent is so much fiercer. There's a link in the show notes to the first episode of Money Talks. That's not a prerequisite for understanding episode two, but it does offer more insight into the credit union executive comp landscape. Have suggestions for topics to explore in this show? My email's in the show notes. Feel free, send me ideas. Listen up. We're going to talk about a topic. You you were a, a CEO of a, a credit union, so you can tell me if I'm right or wrong about this. But capital allocation is right up there on a credit union CEOs. I want to talk about list along with root canal colonoscopy, things like that. Am I right? Yes and no. It is a it is a challenging topic that heats up with the regulator and heats up with the board and is very difficult to manage, particularly for the credit unions that do not have access to secondary capital. So all of that is messy and can come with a sledgehammer from the regulator. So yeah, it's th- those parts of it are the uh, things that executives do not want to have to to deal with, particularly if the capital is not as high as the regulator would like it to be. And in this day and time, with risk-based capital and and other challenges, um, all of it has become complex. I'd say ninety-five percent of credit union CEOs live by the mantra of reducing friction with the regulator. There's that, there are the outliers, there are the Jim Blaines who say, wow, friction with the regulator, that'd be fun. <laughs> but, 
but that that is that is the outlier. Most of them say, geez, I don't want friction with the regulator. Capital allocation is a real friction point. So, oh, wait, here's their advice. Do this real simple stuff. Stay within the lines. Do not cross the lines. So I'm going to do that. But it's such an important conversation because when you're talking about percentage of capital and getting that percentage correctly, if you are overly conservative, which the regulator likes and most boards like and a lot of CFOs like. But if you're over conservative, uh, you'll end up in a situation that uh, you can't grow as much as you'd like to because there is a direct correlation between how much capital you keep, how much money you have to earn, return on assets, and how much your assets can grow. Uh, So understanding the risk on your balance sheet, getting the capital allocation correct, and being able to explain that to the powers that be and regulators and boards is essential. The credit unions that err too far on the side of conservativeness, which is a comfort zone for most credit unions, as you described, can not grow as much and not be as aggressive in their rates or their uh, member value proposition. So it's a very, very delicate dance. Yeah, you have an intriguing point in your argument, which is that if you don't invest in the senior management team, you can't possibly get the best possible results from the capital you want to put to use because you don't have the people that can produce those best possible results. It's a hard thing to say, but it's also a true thing to say. And I, I you, love you, that point. That, that's what's fascinating. You're saying, if I understand your logic, yeah, you can be conservative and make these conservative capital investments, but you will not maximize return because you do not have the team. You cannot win a baseball game with the Somerset Patriots against the New York Yankees who own that team. That's a minor league team. It's uh, right. uh, and, and the Somerset Patriots are a really nice minor league team. They are, but they're a minor league team. And the Yankee payroll is a bit higher than the Somerset Patriots. And given the results of the Yankees, as I live here in New York right now, uh, you would say that that payroll is paying off. Indeed. Uh, and I think that uh, that is a great story and analogy to what we're talking about. When, we're, when you look at, at capital allocation, what we're talking about is strategic use of capital for executive compensation. How do you allocate, how do you create a long-term plan to use capital to ensure that you recruit, retain, and reward the best leaders in the business? Because to your point, and I think everybody understands this, it's just hard sometimes to, to look at it internally or look at it within your organization. But I think everyone understands that leaders make a dramatic difference in the performance of an organization. The, the better the quality of leader, the more vision that they have, the more they believe in the, in the business as well as the philosophy of a credit union the more that they understand the intricacies of growth and their markets and culture and technology and digital and data and finance and operations, all of those things, the better they are at it, the better that organization performs. That's not just you saying that, Kirk. That's Wall Street. You know, Wall Street, which is absolutely unromantic. What do they look at? They look at a handful of the top leaders, CEO, CFO, maybe a few others. That's it. And that's what they, they, so you have a great idea. That's wonderful. Let me see your leadership team. Oh, you're a bunch of dolts. I'm not going to invest in you. 
you know, Wall Street puts a high value on the CEO, CFO, one or two others. And they assume those people are fine. The rest of the team is probably fine, too, which is not a bad assumption to have. I think it's the right assumption, right? The, the, not only do the leaders, uh, strong leaders, make the right decisions about the organization, they make uh, business part of the organization. But they also make the right decision about the people that were within it, who's on the bus, who isn't, uh, given the old comment about uh, how you form a team in a, a business organization. But it is the best leaders are constantly in the game, constantly thinking about the environment, the variables out there, constantly reviewing how they can put their organization in the best place for success and constantly building a team that will lead to the success this year and two years out. That's what great leadership is about. And as you said, Wall Street uh, highly values it when they when you look at stock price and the, and the leaders and the performance. Everyone, every place from Berkshire Hathaway to venture capitalists make their bets on the people that have proven to be successful in the past. And so that's why in credit unions, it is fundamentally important as it is with any business, but even more so right now because the market is shifting so much, Robert, for credit unions, right? We, we see larger asset classes, we see much bigger charters, different types of financing options, uh, secondary capital in particular, uh, different product lines, commercial lending, small business services, hyper-competitiveness from large banks looking at the retail marketplace in a much more aggressive way with digital and data, and fintechs attacking from the other side. All of that is happening. And when you have that many variables and that much change and and the requirements to get strategy right to perform over the long run for an organization, leadership matters more than ever. And you have another really exciting idea, which is that the rules of capital allocation allow credit unions to take a pretty big chunk of capital and invest it in the leadership team, benefits, et cetera. And this is not, we're not talking a couple percentage points of capital. We're talking a big chunk of capital. Absolutely right, Robert. So right. So over the last now couple decades of time, this this issue has evolved, and twenty five percent of capital under the NCUA rules, without any real in depth uh, review by the NCUA, or up to thirty five or more percent of capital, the percentages that are above twenty five percent require um, more regulatory scrutiny. Although all of those that we know of have passed muster, uh, but somewhere between 25 and 35 percent of your capital can be allocated to pay to help pay for the cost of HR benefits. And those HR benefits are wide. They're everything from the employee health plans and pension plans to supplemental executive retirements or SERPs. And you see a great deal of effort by many firms out there helping credit union CFOs use that 25% to earn more by investing in what is termed impermissible investments, because they're not the normal investments allowed by credit unions to invest in bonds and that sort of thing. Impermissible investments are you're able to invest in uh, equities or uh, uh, a number of other uh, nor, if you will, normal investment terms that that uh, banks and, and other business can invest in. 
So that 25% then becomes valuable. And the larger your credit union is, the more dollars that are in that, that uh, your total capital and thus in a, the quarter of it that can be allocated to these impermissible investments. What I would argue, though, is that you have to be incredibly strategic about the use of that 25%. There are kind of two broad paths to go down. One is to take that 25% and use it to increase your returns on your total investment portfolio by a couple percent by investing all of it in um, equities or, or ETFs or, or other funding that can help pay for your HR benefits and retirement plans, but really are used to increase the value of your investment portfolio by a couple hundred basis points. And, and I think that that is really valuable. But that isn't how I would look at it. I would look at that as the secondary option. Uh, the first, the primary option is to think about how you can use those funds for executive recruitment uh, rewards and retention. In other words, SERPs. If you think about the dynamics of executive compensation right now, you're looking at base salary and annual incentive, long-term incentive, and then retirement plans. And if you're recruiting to this more complex strategic environment and competitive environment we just touched on, you need that best talent to do those things we talked about and to lead the organization to growth and success. In order to get that best talent, you need a compensation package that is within the market. You and I talked about this last time. It is a deep subject about all the alternatives, but ultimately it comes down to you are out there or each credit union is out there competing for talent with uh, banks and financial institutions, other credit unions, fintechs, all of those pieces. And in order to bring in that talent and to keep that talent and reward that talent, you need to have a retirement program. In our, in our world, credit union world, that's SERPs, 457Fs or split dollar insurances, SERPs. And those SERPs have to be allocated out of that 25% of capital. So the strategic use of capital, looking first at what is necessary to reward, retain, and recruit your leaders, and what will be necessary to, re to do those same things for your future leaders, and blocking out that capital out of that 25%, and then using the rest of it for the investment performance, we think is critically important to the future success of credit unions. Now, at Beth Page, when you were CEO, you made investments in quite a few QZOs, anywhere, something over 10. Before you made an investment that was at all sizable, you had to have in mind a return on investment measurement. How do I decide if I'm putting a million bucks in this? What's my time frame? What am I getting out of it? Why am I putting a million bucks in it? If I put a million bucks in this SERP, how do I do the same? Because I want to do the same. Well, and so if you if you're doing if you're putting uh, X number of millions, probably depending on how size or how large your credit is, into a retirement program for your executive, you're probably trying to answer three important questions. One, what is fair to that executive into the team? Typically, at a credit union, you'll have a, uh, a compensation model, a retirement model that says. We want everyone to retire from our organization with something like 65% of the final three years average salary. And that's often a policy by the board, and it includes every staff member. So 
uh, SERPs fill that need of uh, creating that retirement program. So often the first category is, is ferrets. The second one, and probably the most important one today, is how do we retain or recruit leaders and what do we need to do to do that? And if we don't have a SERP in place, we can't do it. So part of that return is fuzzy, uh, but it is, this is what the market requires. And if we don't match it, we are not going to get the leaders that we need to compete and create significant return on assets for the credit union, significant growth in the future, significant member value, and val- and the creation of the right rates, the right channels, the right service for each of our members. So that is Im- implied in all this. The third piece, though, is, is the return. Uh, there are two different products out there. Uh, the 457F, large bonus paid at the time, typically that an executive uh, retires, very valuable for certain uh, classes of executives. Those are expenses to the organization primarily. And so there's not a lot of return on that. You do see some of this uh, benefit that we just talked about uh, in the investment and impermissible investments supporting these 457Fs. So there can be a return there, but it's it's uh, relatively uh, uh, straightforward uh, straight and benign. Split dollar SERPs that we do a lot of, um, have, are pay back the credit union for the loan to the executive with a rate of interest uh, that's a couple hundred basis points to 300 basis points today. So there is a return on it, but it's really those first two categories of what do we need to compensate executives that will lead this organization to double digit growth and great member value? And what do we need to be fair? And then what is the best way to pay for it, which is the third piece? Um, And then that evolves or that changes or that is created depending on the credit union's needs and the executive's needs. Not a direct answer. I apologize, Robert, but it really includes all three of those in any decision you're going to make. So if you're talking with a a board and the board says, okay, fine, I follow what you're saying, but can we quantify this? Can Can I put some numbers on this? Can I see a return? And and this kind of subject comes up occasionally when dissident shareholders challenge the compensation of a highly paid CEO of a big bank, for instance, a publicly held bank, where you know how much he's compensating and it's not really worth it. The company comes back with an argument about why he is worth it. So why is this worth it? Well, the first is that uh, you probably have, every organization probably has a good sense if they are if their leaders have been in place for a while, how they're performing and how they're performing to your peers. And so that analysis that you're talking about really is two prongs. The first is a, and there are great companies out there that do executive uh, compensation surveying and analysis. You and I talked about it last time because only half the credit unions report uh, to the IRS on 990 forms. The other half are federally chartered. They don't report getting a great uh, executive compensation firm to analyze the market is really important to getting compensation right. So these firms look at what the market conditions are. And if you think about all the things we talked about, the competitive world, but emphasize particularly the changes that are going on in digital and data and the demographic changes of retirement right now, you need to, to analyze the marketplace for compensation. And what you'll find in that is that these four tiers base annual incentive, long-term incentive, and SERPs are essential uh, to pay to get 
the types of leaders that you need. Secondly, then, is the absolute conditions of recruiting an executive. And what you'll find if you're recruiting a CEO or a, or a senior C-level team member, CFO, chief operating officer, that sort, into your credit union, and particularly if you're over $500 million or a billion dollars in assets, they will require a SERP to come in. So you, you have those market conditions that are forcing this. And if you think about it, something you and I have spent some time talking about, and really, I, I think you bring up such great points about, is that there are stock options for for-profit institutions, whether that's a fintech or whether it's a bank. Uh, if you look at the large credit unions today, they're recruiting from banks all the time. They're certainly recruiting from business leaders in their local marketplace. If they're not offering stock options, in our case, which are SERPs, you're not going to get it right. So that's primary. To get to your specific point about paying it back, if you do a split dollar SERP, which we primarily work on, the credit union is taking money that is then lending it to the credit union executive to buy an insurance policy. And that uh, loan that is made to the executive will be paid back with interest when the executive passes away. So there is an asset on the balance sheet and a return with that asset that comes with a certain. Well, you're putting out a really mind-blowing idea here, Kirk, which is that this kind of dollar use is a capital investment, and capital investments ideally have a return. Sometimes they produce a loss, but ideally they have a return. So if I'm looking at what I'm paying the, 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 the guy who mows my lawn, that's an expense. It's not an investment. And I might grumble about it. Geez, I don't want to pay him $12 this week. But you're saying, let's look at these, these top leaders. This is an investment that will produce a return. It's not an expense. I, I am absolutely making that, that uh, uh, suggestion, recommendation, and I think strate- uh, strategy point. Let's talk about credit unions just for a moment about how much they've changed over the last 20 years. And, and Robert, some of this may be sensitive subject. Some of this may seem like old school stuff to people, but I think it's really important. Credit unions, when when I started in in this business 40 years ago, but even 20 years ago, were still significant monopoly strategy organizations. What do I mean by that? They served a couple SEGs, uh, often some very big SEGs like teachers or government employees. And within that, they had a very controlled environment. They they knew the risks that were in those employee base. They knew how to market to them. They knew how to create branch channels around them. They knew what services to provide. It was a closed loop environment. And within that closed loop environment, everyone understood the the risks. Uh, Now, fast forward over the 20 years, charters have changed dramatically. We have over, I would say 300, but that's a rough guess, nationally chartered credit unions. Those are credit unions with foundations that are in place that allow them to recruit members from any place in the country. We have fintech partnerships feeding loans for, and new memberships from all over the country into to credit unions. We've got regionals and super regional credit unions that are multiple states because of state charters. We have access to capital and secondary capital for low-income designated credit unions, which are half the credit unions in the marketplace. All of those credit unions are, are looking at opportunities in new markets and new products. Leaders really matter in that environment. Right? They really matter in this sort of industrial, not sort of, but this industrial revolutionary change that we're seeing in digital and data. They really matter in this, this revolutionary change in retail business models. 
they really matter in the demographic changes of, of new leaders coming in. So if you don't get the leadership right, you're not going to get the growth right, the competitive right, and ultimately the member value. And it's hyper, it's incredibly important. It has never been more important because we're going from this monopoly mindset where we could literally pick the people within the organization and succeed them up in the organization. And there are wonderful leaders. I, I benefited from that. There are wonderful leaders that still fit that model and have grown that push themselves to get external education and move themselves to understand fintechs and grow. But it isn't that simple model of 20 years ago where you grew up in a monopoly, you could, you had so much more understanding of the risk uh, on your balance sheet and the risks within your membership, and you could just kind of plod along. This new world that I just described requires dynamic leaders that are going to push the organization to performance. They're going to grow it uh, as much as their peer banks and community banks are or fintechs and are going to understand all of those risks and rewards in the marketplace. That's a new type of leader for a new type of credit union. And I've talked to a lot of, uh, I'm an old guy, I've talked with a lot of old credit union leaders, and they, they remember quite fondly the old days, the old seg days, where on um, new employees' first day of orientation, there'd be a stop at the credit union where, That's right. of, co- of course, you'll sign up for an account here and you'll get your check through here. It's really convenient for you, blah, blah, blah. So you had a study. You didn't have to market to new members. They were dragged into you. And number two, it was a simple spread business, checking, savings, blah, 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 loans. I could have run that business. And for most of my adult life, I've paid a CPA to do my taxes, not because I make so much money, but because I don't like to do that stuff. Nonetheless, I could have run that business. It was a simple business to run. If you can balance a checkbook, you can run that business. It ain't that way anymore. It's maybe there's some small credit unions where it's still that way, but it ain't that way. It's very complicated today. You know, I think there are a lot of leaders that, and you mentioned some of those, Blaine and others, that really moved the needle and created dynamic organizations in the past. And if you look at the top 200 credit unions, it's probably those probably are good examples of that that evolved 20, 30 years ago. But you're absolutely right. I mean, if you didn't want to, and if and if you're and if a board looked at it from a risk aversion perspective and to stay within your box of your seg, uh, it was a much less competitive environment to lead in, uh, much less risk, much more of uh, much less urgency, right? I mean, that's really, I think, if you look at organizations that are, are uh, market-driven and are really responding to an open market, but they're urgent. They, they attack issues, they partner with fintechs, they move the needle, they test and try, they win, they lose, they, they do all of those things. That wasn't necessary to be successful in credit unions 20, 25 years ago. If you look at you know, this amazing shift that's going on right again today where, where uh, interest rates are going up and what that means to it, I, I'm now talking to credit unions, Robert, and can't imagine this just three months ago. Who are who are, um, need deposits, right? I mean, when when was the last time we had a real competitive interest rate environment for deposits and a need for deposits? Again, just a few months ago, everyone was flush with liquidity. Uh, so all of that, all of that is going on. Leaders are essential. Compensating leaders the right way, and what we're talking about today 
is that allocating capital, strategically thinking about it now, five years from now, 10 years from now, about how you're going to use that capital to retain, recruit, and reward your leaders first to be able to absorb all these dynamic changes to help the credit union create long-term value for the organization, sustainability, and member value, real value to the to the owners of the cooperative is an inset, is an essential strategy and investment. And if you get it wrong, if you allocate this money in the wrong way and you don't have the funds available to recruit that next CFO, CIO, CEO, chief lending officer, chief marketing officer, whatever those titles might be, chief, chief data and digital today, you will not win in this marketplace. And you may lose so dramatically that you end up having to be merged with somebody else. And we're seeing more mergers of billion-dollar credit units, which is, I, I still haven't quite processed that. that that's just stunning to me. Now, of the billion-dollar credit unions, there's several hundred of them. Okay. What percentage would you say have what you view as a state-of-the-art management compensation philosophy and practice? Oh, that is a superb question. I would say that somewhere around a third to half. The reason where I get my numbers from is is looking at the survey data that comes out on an annual basis. There are five or six of them that are put together, can really give you a, a, a very clear picture of executive compensation. No one of them alone does a great job of it, but put together, they do a, a very good job. You look at that data, you'll see that somewhere around 40% of CEOs and about 20% of other members now have the stock option type of uh, supplemental executive retirement service in place, uh, split dollars. And that's evolved. That's almost doubled over the last five years. So that there is those that are answering and looking at the marketplace. If you, if you go off and, and, you know, please do this. And, and, and you talk to a CEO that has a, a split dollar plan, whether it's ours or, or one of the other competitors in the marketplace, you'll find that they swear by them because they're going to get their retirement tax-free, the credit union is going to get paid back with interest, and the credit and the executive's family is protected uh, in case they have an untimely uh, demise. Those things really create almost stock option uh, uh, models for the executive. So, so about I would say 30 to 50% growing with each new CEO that is hired because of the, they are demanding uh, SERPs be put in place with dollars. The rest of the marketplace is, is still living in the older models. Most of them will have about 95% have SERPs in place. Those, that difference between the numbers I just gave you and that higher number are 457Fs. 457Fs fit a great number of situations, uh, but they are a, a, a bonus that's paid and they are taxed at the regular rate. Um, and they are uh, most of the time not set up to pay the credit union back with interest. So you put those things, the advantages versus uh, the, the challenges in place, and there is this switch going on to, to split dollar serves. So those sophisticated plans, but to take that one step further, farther, and I mentioned it earlier, we talked about it in some detail in the last podcast, there are really uh, four things you need to get right these days. And that is a strong base salary, 
and an annual incentive that are direct, that annual incentive is directed at real performance this year, loan growth, uh, managing the allowance for loan losses, capital creation, return on assets, whatever those, those primary financial drivers, and then often coupled with a net promoter score or other service metrics, but something that's in a balanced scorecard that creates an annual incentive and really drives performance on an annual basis. Then there typically is a long-term incentive program, some three, five, or seven years out, that is retentive in basis and make sure that those executives stay and pay is at 1x or, or 2x of salary. And then the SERPs that we've talked about extensively, those that uh, end up with paying a 65 to 75% of your final three years average salary in a retirement program. Each of those pieces are necessary to compete in the marketplace. And that's where you have 30 to, to 50% of the credit unions that are getting it right. Uh, another 50% or 70% that still have work to do. Let's say I'm a board chair at a billion dollar credit union. I'm in the 50% that's not getting this right. I'm hearing this podcast and let's, let's say I'm not in a major market. I'm not in New York or San Francisco. I'm in Phoenix. I'm in Iowa. I don't know. So I say to myself, before I email this Kirk guy, I'd like to know what this is going to cost me. Just a ballpark number, not your fee. I'm talking total package. You know, how much money am I going to have to siphon out, out of my budget to fund this thing? It's a billion dollar credit. You have some idea of the, the, yep. the salary, some idea of how many executives would be involved. Sure. So, yeah. It's a real ballpark number. You know, yeah. Hey, guys, don't, don't hold them to this. <laughs> yeah, don't hold me to this because it does change, as you described, uh, Robert, by the market that you're in. So, you know, the, but I'll give you a, a billion dollar. You're going to be talking somewhere between 450 and 550 base salary. You're going to talk, you're going to talk about a 40 to 50 percent annual incentive basis that would be normally paid. So it would it would be geared towards aggressive goals. That would normally you would have credit union normally achieve eighty to ninety percent of that payout. That base salary is at about fifty to sixty percent of your peers' marketplace, so it's about the average salary. The annual incentive, if reached, then will take you to eighty or ninety percent of the market in payment. So you're you're gearing that to performance and that annual incentive. That the base and the annual incentive is what would be classified as total comp. And it's really an important number because total comp is what that eventual retirement program is based on, base and annual. Then a typical would be a one-time annual base salary for a five-year performance plan. Uh, that would be, so now another $450,000, $500,000 that would be in, in uh, payable for performance over a five-year period, so hitting the goals for loan growth, uh, hitting the goals for asset growth, uh, maintaining capital uh, would be the, the types of things that would be measured for that performance. Uh, and then that long-term piece, the retirement package, uh, would be 65 to 70%, 75% of the final three years average salary that we talked about. And, and those are, I think, pretty good barometers of the marketplace. We highly recommend, as, as we said earlier, that a compensation consultant be used because the data that they can create can be managed around, formulated around 
how many banks you want to include in your, your analysis of your marketplace, how many credit unions, what size credit unions, community credit unions versus seg credit unions, that kind of stuff will alter the numbers that I just outlined uh, somewhat. But that's kind of what, what is the going price for a, a billion dollar credit union. Two other important numbers to keep in mind, Robert, and one of them may kind of blow you, you blow your mind a bit. But over the last three years, that same credit union has seen in that total comp base and annual about a 10% increase per annum. So you've seen significant increase. Why is that? Assets have shot up by 30%. Compensation correlates to, to assets. The second piece is that the demographic change, the retirement of baby boomers and the demand for talent is really forcing compensation up uh, just as supply and demand does. And so you're, you're seeing both of those kind of powers pushing compensation uh, in ways that we haven't seen before. So you're talking multiple millions of dollars. So when I'm making this phone call, I got to be prepared to hear multiple millions of dollars. Yeah, you know, that's right. The, the, that SERP under a split dollar to create, let's say the executive is 50 years old and they're going to retire at 65 and you expect their annual salary to increase by 4%, 5% per year uh, over that period of time, the total comp, and you expect them to retire at uh, 65 to 75% of their final three years average, that's probably around a $5 million loan or thereabouts to that executive, depending on whether they're male or female and their age and their health, to uh, ensure that they're going to get the, that 65 to 75% benefit. So they're going to get paid $450,000, $500,000 in base. They're going to get uh, another $250,000 in annual incentive. So about a $750,000 annual package. They're going to get paid a, about a $500,000 bonus in, in five years. And they're going to have a retirement program that is going to coupled with their social security and 401k or anything else that the credit union offers, but those are the two typical pieces. They're going to then have a retirement package that pays another $300,000 per year tax-free from the proceeds of that $5 million loan to the executive. Now you multiply that over how many executives would I be extending this to? Four in uh, yeah. a billion dollar credit union? Uh, somewhere around five. Uh, three to five. It, it will depend on the on the credit union. But so you're you'll see at the five hundred million dollar mark, uh, one to three executives. At the billion dollar mark, three to five. At the five billion dollar mark, five plus. And at the ten billion dollar mark, maybe eight plus. Given their size of their organization and their capital, they can afford to do those things, and they they typically would. Now. If you think about that billion-dollar credit union example, Robert, the CFO or COO are going to make somewhere between 60 and 70% of the CEO's salary, and then it's going to drop down to 50% or so for those other officers. So you can, you know, you can quickly do the math on those. Uh, it's not an apples-and-apples apples situation where the CEO and the CFO are going to get paid the same amounts. Right. Now, what if I'm an executive with a good title, but I'm not in that list. Do I mm -hmm. quit? Do I do I say the hell with this? Go go down the road. I mean, what do I do? So now, now it comes down to the individual credit union strategy, right? For not only uh, 
how important that, that executive might be. Let's say it's not a CIO, but a, uh, a VP, a senior VP of uh, information systems or data or digital. Depending on how difficult it is to recruit it and how and what you need to compensate for that recruitment and how important that person is to the organization, you may indeed have to find a SERP to go in there. Typically, you would see is the base salary, the annual incentive, much lower grade, and a retentive piece, a 457F type of plan, so that they stay around for five years. We designed some really unique, cool ways to help them. Uh, in that case, where you're, you're, you're looking to keep that person for five years, you can actually do a, a small term insurance product uh, that ensures that that executive will be underwritten at their current health and age, and then they'll be eligible for a SERP in five years, a split dollar SERP. And you can put that in when they have shown that they're going to stay with you and that you want them to stay. Uh, both are equally important. And that, that model fits. So there are ways to still design it so that they have a retentive piece and a opportunity for the larger dollars uh, for that executive. And the other group that fits into that is uh, people that you would put into your succession plan. Uh, succession plans are obviously critical. The NCUA is reviewing them these days, but even more so with all the turnover that's happened uh, because of retirement, it's essential to have the right succession plan in place. Do you, is your sense that larger credit unions, billion-dollar credit unions, have the, do most of them actually have a good succession plan? I know smaller ones rarely do. And I think that's what NCUA's primary interest is now. And the ones that 100 million, unless that merge because the CEO retires, no one wants the job and the board throws its hands up and says, let's just solve this problem by merging. But do, do big ones, they have realistic succession plans in your opinion? I believe they do. Uh, I think that, that the challenge is that it, it evolves so dynamically uh, because of people moving out of the organization and moving on to other credit unions or other jobs. Uh, so keeping it up to date. And, and there's a the thing that I learned at Beth Page that was essential to the succession planning was that it, it had to be a couple of people deep in each job. And it really required an emphasis on how those folks were learning evolving and taking on new responsibilities, new accountabilities, and how they were reacting to the changes in the marketplace. So in other words, it isn't set in stone. It, it changes pretty significantly from year to year. I often give the example that you know, so often people think a billion dollars, one billion to two billion dollars is you know, just a one to two kind of, of evolutionary change. It's if you do that in relatively short order, let's say five years from one billion to two billion, it's a dramatic change in, in the size of the organization, the number of members you're serving, the product lines, et cetera. And so you really need to go back and check that succession plan carefully to see if uh, it's evolving as fast as the organization is or that the marketplace is and the variables in the marketplace. I think that's where most large credit unions fall down is that they kind of write it once and write it in stone and don't necessarily uh, re review it in current terms, in current marketplace conditions, in current growth terms. Uh, I think that's the danger 
of just uh, filling out the boxes for the board and for the NCOA. And I think one advantage a public company has is that basically the public company has to sell sell a street on the heir apparent. And they spend a lot of time, if it's a, if it's a planned retirement, they spend a, a, several years introducing Wall Street to the CFO who's going to be the new CEO, unless he gets arrested for something really bad. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And uh, so usually the, the, this succession is really smooth and easy. And with credit unions, it's not as clear who's going to be the successor in most cases. That's right. Yeah, you know, it's it, it it's fuzzy also, uh, and I have been in this position, right? It's, it is, you know, CEOs are a little bit hesitant for a lot of good reasons to be completely clear on when they want to retire, which means something to the next couple levels down about how long they have to, to climb the rest of the ladder. It's, it's difficult, right? You know, and, and particularly uh, before a lot of the SERPs were put in place, there wasn't stock options. There wasn't this thing that, that came to you at a certain age that you were going to become you know, reasonably wealthy uh, if you were in a for-profit company. And so you could move on and, and go on. There, there is, um, so there's an emotional part. There's a financial part. There is uh, change that affects you. So a lot of CEOs are, are hesitant to put a firm date in. And then without that firm date, um, the, uh, the successors you know, don't know exactly when they're going to move up. And, and to your point about Wall Street and, and uh, the SEC and, and the marketplace in general, in for-profits, it has to be clear because the value of that stock price is going to hang on whether there's trust in that next leader. When you don't have stock and you're not, there, there's really, there's no pressure from members. There's no real pressure besides the board on, you know, when that, that handoff is going to occur and how that baton is going to be passed and, and who that is going to be. It can become this fuzziness uh, that we see so often in credit unions. Yeah, I bet you if I surveyed Navy Federal membership, and offer 10 bucks to everybody who could name the CEO, every member who could name the CEO. I doubt I'd have to part with more than a few thousand dollars. That's right. Uh, That's right. Uh, um, yeah, if you, I, I happen to know the CEO of my primary credit union, but that's because I've interviewed him as a source. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I know the CEO of uh, JP Morgan Chase, I've never talked with him, but everybody knows his name. So, That's right. Yeah, and, and I think if, if most business people searching uh, could come up with Bank of America, et cetera, right? You know, and certainly some of the fintech competitors. And, and yeah, and, and it, unless the credit union is tremendously active in a community, sometimes that occurs. Uh, that might be where there is a name recognition of the CEO, uh, but not a lot, not a lot. And, and uh, I don't think that is destined to change. I agree. Well, I think we I think we've come to the conclusion here, Kirk, unless you disagree, because the conclusion is simple. If, if you're on the board of a larger credit union, you have to view executive compensation as a capital investment that will produce a return. 
which is it's not like, oh, I'm being nice. I'm raising the salary 25%. No, it's not like that at all. That's a nice thing to do. And nowadays you probably should do it. Whereas this is a capital investment that will produce a return. Yeah, I, I would agree with that completely. And, and, I, and the way that I would phrase it uh, is that uh, there is a defined percentage of capital that can be allocated to what I think is your most important assets. And I think most people would think is your most important asset, your leaders. And in order to retain, recruit, and reward the very best, you need to be strategic about the use of that 25 to 35% of capital. And by thinking about it up front, you can create an environment of long-term performance and success of the organization. And probably equally important, give you the flexibility when things change, sometimes uh, without notice, to be able to react to that and then have the flexibility to be able to recruit the next best leader or to expand your leadership team in an area that is necessary to provide member value. So thinking about that up front, and that's an executive team and board level thinking about it up front. Both should be thinking about it both independently and together about how to allocate that capital and then use the rest of the capital to whatever means is going to be best to grow the organization and, and increase the performance and investment portfolio. We are strong believers in those other options to you within that 25%, 35% of capital. But we think the prioritization should be towards leaders first and then the, then the use of the investment return second. Anybody that would like to talk about this further, uh, I'm sure you'll share with the contact information, but this is uh, really what, what I spend my time thinking about and, and working on and feel so passionately about. I, am, I believe that the leaders of credit unions have the toughest job in retail banking, and we, have, we need to continue to evolve our compensation models so that we provide the very best leaders that create the very best organizations for our members. The CU 2.0 Podcast.